I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, so last week I started a BPD symptoms series and gave a bonus episode about a personal experience in our house about forgiveness and learning to regulate your emotions. So this week I'm going to jump around a little bit and I want to do a DBT crash course a la Rose and we're going to start with talking about the DBT module of mindfulness. Please remember as I speak about these skills that this is my interpretation of mindfulness um, from my lens and it is not a substitute for therapy. So if you need support and you're looking for mindset coaching, something goal-directed, future-focused, and you're feeling ready, willing, and able to jumpstart your recovery, you can reach out to us at SkeeterStrength.com or 844-9-THRIVE. Give us a call. If you're looking for therapy support, it's also a great option or avenue for you. This isn't a substitute, but it is something that I thought would benefit the community. This point in time, I realize that DBT skills are something that everyone has come across at some point and they can be useful if you really understand how they apply to your everyday life. So I want to spend some time today talking about mindfulness. So let's just jump right in. So core mindfulness skills, that module, the purpose of that module is to learn to be in control of your own mind instead of letting your mind be in control of you. So to an extent, being in control of your mind, it's actually learning to be in control of what, you're, what you pay attention to and how long you pay attention to it. So knowing that, if you have trouble paying attention to things that you don't like to do or things that are difficult or you know maybe when someone's talking and you're having an emotion, right? mindfulness is something that would benefit you. So think about how when you're not able to control what your attention, what you can pay attention to or how long you can pay attention to something that you're supposed to pay attention to, like what problems that creates for you. Think about the times where you're supposed to be doing something that benefits your life, like maybe uh, working on routine or going to the gym or working on a paper or, you know, working through, you know, a project or a problem, but yet you can't bring your attention you know, from thinking about things like the past or obsessing about the future or thinking about the deep emotional pain or hurt you have or physical pain you have. So unfortunately, if you're unable to concentrate on a task or to focus on another person or because you get distracted quite easily, you'll need mindfulness skills as a foundation in your recovery process so that you can start learning to be in control of your own mind. It's funny, I think back to when I was being taught mindfulness skills when I was in therapy a long time ago and how I was so resistant to it because I didn't understand that at the core of the issue for me was my inability or my unwillingness coupled with my inability to pay attention. I liked to pay attention to things that felt good for me in the moment that they felt good, whether that was a deep feeling of emotional pain, not that that feels good, but it feels familiar and it feels intense. And so I could pay attention to that for a long time. But if it was something that was good for me, right, like maintaining a routine or, you know, having consistent good personal hygiene, for example, 
I would not pay attention to that as long as I would pay attention to the deep emotional hurt and pain I had. And so when mindfulness skills were brought up to me, I thought, oh, this is floofy. I'm just going to have to meditate. I'm not into that. Right. And I'm sure there are some of you out there that kind of feel that way when it comes to mindfulness. Like maybe it's just a buzzword, you know, kind of et cetera. But mindfulness skills require practice and require awareness of your own self to understand that, unfortunately, you developed in such a way that has kind of, you know, made it so that your attention, the things that you pay attention to aren't things that often benefit you or those around you. So mindfulness skills are something that, you know, I just said that they require practice. So, you know, when you're, when you're engaging in behavioral practice of mindfulness skills, you have to practice controlling your mind, your attention, the behavior you're engaging in, your body, and your emotions. Well, that's a lot. Now think about how can you learn something new if you don't practice? I read a, uh, something that said people expect to be victorious in a battle without ever, ever, ever having fought in the battle. So in other words, you can't learn without practice. So that being said, let's break up the first uh, module of mindfulness skills into this reasonable mind, emotional mind, and um, sort of wise mind. And I want to explain what those points are and how they can benefit you. So if we were to look at taking hold of your mind and the states of your mind within this context, we can look at you, you as having a reasonable mind, an emotion mind, and a wise mind. So in your reasonable mind, this is your rational, logical thinking mind. It's that part of you that plans things and evaluates things logically. Reasonable mind can be very beneficial because without it, we wouldn't be able to have jobs, build homes. We wouldn't be able to follow instructions or follow rules. We wouldn't be able to solve logical problems, do math, science, run meetings, things like that. It's easier to be in a reasonable mind state when you feel good. So when you're at your best and you're having a good day, your reasonable mind is much easier to access when than when you're having a bad day. So... You know when people will tell you, if you could just think right, you'll be all right, or don't think that way, or, you know, just don't, just, you know, think of it this way, and, you know, maybe you perceive that as being invalidating. Well, what they're trying to say is, is if you can just access your reasonable mind more often, you do okay. And, you know, it's true, though, for sure, definitely when you exist more in emotion mind, that can feel really heavy. So let me move to emotion mind. Emotion mind is when your emotions are in control. It's when your emotions influence and control your thinking and your behavior. Emotion mind can be beneficial at times. Love comes from emotion mind. It fills books and, and as motivation for relationships. It also, you know, provides motivation for someone to sacrifice their self from someone else, for someone else. It also brings fullness to life, having emotions. A certain amount of, motion, of emotional mind is good. And, you know, people with BPD, EUPD, or CPTSD do have more emotions than most, right? We, I've talked about this. We're intense. We're dramatic. We're hyperbolic. 
but we're also passionate people. And so it's not all bad to have an emotion mind. The problems with emotion mind usually occur when you have these positive results in the short term because, you know, the behavior you engage in in accordance to your emotions is impulsive. But when that mm, result is negative long term, when you haven't been able to see the big picture or when the experience is really painful. So what we really want to start doing is paying attention to when we're in reason reason mind and when we're in emotion mind. Now, a moment ago, I said that it's easier to access your reasonable mind, your logical mind, when you're having a good day. Your emotion mind is exacerbated by illness. So if you're sick, your emotion mind is more, you know, it has a stronger presence. It's harder to access wise mind or reasonable mind. When you're sleep deprived, when you're tired, when you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, when you're hungry, bloated, when you've overate, when you have poor nutrition or hormonal imbalances, when you have too many demands on your time, environmental stressors, and when there are threats in your environment, maybe there's a domestic violence situation or, you know, another threat in your environment. So you can probably come up with a list of things that puts you into emotion mind. Headaches is one that I've talked about on the podcast. I have a harder time accessing my wise mind or what I will just call my logical mind, my conscious awareness when I have a headache because the headache seems to elicit a large emotional response. I laugh because I think it's a little bit silly that that occurs for me. So I've gotten to the point in my life where I can see when my emotion mind is taking over and I can choose to evaluate that, to pay attention to what's necessary and to make a choice based on my wise mind or my conscious awareness. So that allows me to be more lighthearted about something like a headache exacerbating emotion mind. Wise mind is the integration of emotion mind and reasonable mind. So in the DBT, what the belief system there is that you cannot overcome emotional mind with a reasonable mind alone. And you can't create emotions with reasonableness. So you have to go within and integrate the two. So you want to take a a good mix of both is, is what they're saying right? So wise mind is similar to having intuition. It's knowing that there is more than reasoning and more than what is observed directly. Wisdom, wise mind, or wise knowing depends upon integration of all ways of knowing something. That means knowing something by looking at it or observing it, knowing something by analyzing it logically, and knowing something by what we experience in our bodies kinetic and sensory experience. It's also knowing by what we do and knowing by intuition. Wise mind is that part of each person that can know and experience truth. It is where the person knows something to be true or valid. It's almost always quiet and there's a certain peace to a wise mind. 
It's where the person knows something in a centered way. Everyone has wise minds, but some people have simply never experienced it. Another point to remember is that no one is in wise mind all of the time. A lot of people will tell me that they don't have a wise mind or that they're, they're not able to access logical mind or they're, not, they're just not logical. But I will say that that's not true. You absolutely have wise mind. Everyone has it. Wise mind's like having a heart. Everyone has one, whether you experience it or not. Wise mind is like a deep well in the ground. The water at the bottom of the well, the entire underground ocean, is wise mind. But on the way down, there are often trap doors that impede progress. Sometimes the trap doors are so cleverly built that you actually believe that there is no water at the bottom of the well. The trap door may look like the bottom of the well. Perhaps it is locked and you need a key. Perhaps it is nailed shut and you need a hammer, or it is glued shut and you need a chisel. So that well analogy is given to us in the manualized treatment for DBT so that you can understand that wise mind is something that's there and it's really hard to get to, but the more practice that you do and the more you're able to improve your sense of self-awareness, the more likely you are to reach wise mind. Now, if we think about how to begin to experience wise mind, we can think of this as an experience that exists in the center of our body, in our belly, or in the center of our head or between our eyes. Sometimes you can find your wise mind by following your breath. You can breathe in, just this moment and breathe out just this breath so at the bottom of that breath that very centered point is wise mind let's try that again let's breathe in just this moment and breathe out just this breath Right there, at that centered point, is your wise mind. It's the calm that follows a storm. It's in the experience that immediately follows a crisis or enormous chaos. Suddenly getting to the heart of a matter, seeing or knowing something directly and clearly. Those light bulb moments that I talk about, that's a, those are wise mind experiences. It's when you feel the right choice in a dilemma and when feeling comes from deep within rather than from your current impulsive emotional state. So how do you tell the difference between emotion mind and wise mind? Emotion mind and wise mind both have a quality of feeling something to be the case. The intensity of emotions that you experience can generate experiences of certainty that mimic the stable, cool certainty of wisdom. But after a heavy rain, water can collapse collect on a trap door within the well. You may then still confuse the water on the trap door with the deep ocean at the bottom of the well. So there's no simple solution here, in other words. So what we suggest that individuals do when they're trying to develop their wise mind 
is to start with seeing if, if to paying attention to your intense emotions first, because if those emotions are obvious, we can just suspect that we are in emotion mind, right? We give it some time. If you remain certain that, that your emotion is the experience that you are having, especially if you're feeling calm and secure, you can suspect wise mind. So maybe you can come up with some other ways to tell the difference between your emotion mind and your wise mind. If you're working on this and you're having a hard time understanding how to mesh your wise mind and your emo and your reasonable mind and you know make that wise mind, I can give you my take on it outside of that sort of lens. And so the way that I um, had received or reached this point where I was able to understand wise mind is a little different. Sometimes I was, I had a hard time understanding what was real because in wise mind, you're still using an emotion. And when you're in emotion mind, you're using an emotion. So the way that I think of it is as having a subconscious emotional experience and a conscious logical experience. And I think that the bridge between the subconscious emotional experience and the logical experience or the conscious emotional experience, conscious experience, excuse me, is broken. And that when our emotions take over our ability to walk the bridge back to our conscious awareness, to our logical mind is broken. And so in order to access, access wise mind, we must first become mindfully aware of when we are in our subconscious emotional state, when we have stopped thinking, so that we can begin to slowly build the bridge back to our conscious awareness. So when I think of it that way, essentially it's saying the same thing as being in wise mind, right? But I'm saying it in a little bit of a different way. So hopefully that kind of resonates with you. So what I want you all to do is I want you to, um, this week, begin to observe your breath. Try the exercise that I was describing a moment ago, the breathing exercise. I want you to breathe in just this moment. And I want you to breathe out just this breath. Start bringing into your conscious awareness when you are in your logical mind, your reasonable mind, when you are in your emotional mind, and when you feel like you have a good handle on both. I can give you some examples of this as well. This is something that happens, you know, fairly often in my day. Because it's something that I had to practice a lot to be able to be on the other side, let's say, of the recovery process, right? So for me, an example of building a bridge between my emotional mind and my logical mind could be something, you know, by way of, let's, let's say, parenting, right? So there are times when in my emotional mind, I get frustrated because it would be nice if my son would do the thing that I want him to do when he would want to do it. But that is not the way development works. That's not the way parenting works. And that's not the way people work. 
because you cannot control people into doing the thing that they want you to do. So in my emotional mind, my emotion mind, let's say my son were to do something that were, you know, that wasn't expected or it wasn't, it was against the rules per se, right? Let's say, well, in my emotion mind, I would feel frustration. I would feel maybe exacerbation, maybe feel uh, irritable or sad or disappointed. But having done the work that I've been doing, I can think of him and whether or not my emotions are something that would shape my behavior in the situation. So let's say he, the example I gave in the bonus episode was he'd poke some holes in the table, right? And then he had consequence for that. Okay. So the poking of the holes in the table, it's frustrating. It's angering. It's disappointing. You know, I felt sad. And I didn't allow my emotions to drive my behavior. So I experienced the emotions by observing them, by understanding that emotions come and go and that it's perfectly okay to experience emotions. And then I pulled back, looked at my experience, and chose to engage in the behavior that would be most beneficial for my family and for him in that moment. So my behavior wasn't driven by my disappointment. It wasn't driven by my frustration. It was driven by my role as a parent, as a coach for someone growing up in the world. I can look at this when it comes to eating. Right now, I know I had mentioned that I'm working on, you know, had 30 days of paleo. I think it's day like 19 or 20 today. And you know, faced with this situation where I will be working all day and I'm in sessions or I'm, you know, working on something for homeschooling and maybe I'm sitting down all day and my blood sugar is low. Well, low blood sugar exacerbates emotion mind. So I get up and I go downstairs and I just want to eat something fast and I want to go back to doing what I was doing. And maybe I'm a little cranky because it's been a while since I've eaten Well, if I were acting in emotion mind, which I would have in the past, I might engage in binge eating or I might lash out at someone or I might have a tantrum or an episode because my emotions have taken over. And at the time, I had not yet learned to focus my attention and to control my mind and to control my thoughts and to really pay attention to what was going on within me. Now I can pay attention to that and I can say, you know what, you're getting angry. You have to get up and solve the issue. And not only that, we have to do the right thing the right way. And the right thing the right way is to follow the meal plan because self-discipline is important. And so I'm able to validate myself and say, hey, look, this is this stinks. You don't feel good right now. You're having an emotion. But then I can take that and mediate that emotional experience using my reasonable or logical mind and make a wise choice, which is to do the right thing the right way. So not invalidating myself, but paying attention, observing, and experiencing control over my behaviors, not allowing my emotions to take the wheel. Think of all the times when emotions have taken the wheel of your life and the consequences of those times. Try to pay attention as well this week to when you stop thinking and you're 
feeling. It's another big one that we, you know, talk about in our household is, you know, when you're in a space, when you're in a motion mind, you're no longer thinking, you're feeling. So anything that, any thoughts that come along with those feelings, they're not logical thought patterns. They're just feelings. So if I were to be hangry and I go downstairs and I start saying, oh, I hate this meal plan. I don't want to eat this way. I don't want to do this. I'm tired. I don't want to cook again. I don't feel like it. I've stopped thinking. And now I'm only feeling. So I have to be mindfully aware of that, pay attention to what's going on with me and how my behavior influences the way that I feel about myself, the way I represent myself in the world, and the way that other people see me, and the way that it impacts other people. So anytime I've stopped thinking and I'm just feeling, I need to step back, access that wise mind, and understand that I'm, oh, it is okay for me to be hungry, to be disappointed, to be frustrated, and to do the right thing the right way anyway. So I'll let that sink in for a minute. So it is okay for you to be sad and to go to work. Those two things can be true. You can be sad and also fulfill your responsibilities. If you're having a bad day and you have kids and you want to sleep all day, think about whether or not you're in a motion mind or a wise mind. Emotion mind will say, you deserve to sleep all day because you're depressed and you don't feel good and someone else should have to take care of the, of the house for me. Because I don't feel good and I deserve this. I deserve this. Right? Or I can't. I can't get up. I can't get out of bed. I can't do the things that I need to do. So your emotions are speaking now, telling you that you have to pay attention to your emotional pain and your emotional hurt. And you've stopped thinking and you're just feeling. So it's in those moments where you want to pay attention. What, what's going on with me? What do I need right now? Are my emotions taking over? And then you can go back to your breath. Just this moment, just this breath. Putting one foot in front of the other, doing the right thing the right way. And remembering that in order to maintain this sense of wise mind, to be able to access wise mind, we must practice, practice, practice. People with BPD are intense. We have a lot of emotion a lot of the time. So instead of it being an affliction, something that's negative, something that pains us or hurts us, we can learn to use that emotion when it benefits us. We can learn to mediate our emotions with logic so that we can feel more capable, more confident, and more in control of ourselves, our minds, and the world around us. But it starts by paying attention to what we pay attention to. So hopefully today, this kind of kickstarts you into your mindfulness journey. There are a lot of great workbooks out there for DBT. 
for mindfulness skills. And this is just a small part of what you would experience if you were going to formal DBT treatment. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you want to learn more about that, go ahead and reach out. You can reach out to me here. You can, you know, sort of reach out to some individuals who are offering DBT in your area. You can reach out to your insurance company or if you're in internationally, you know, reaching out to organizations that specialize in DBT and see if it's right for you. So all I'm going to leave you with today are some more practice exercises to practice mindfulness. So one thing that you can do is just sit down and just try to experience the way that your body feels in the chair that you're sitting in. Another thing that you can do is you can imagine that your mind is a conveyor belt. Imagine that the thoughts and feelings you are having are coming down this belt. And as you breathe in and out, imagine placing each thought and feeling in a box near the belt, non-judgmentally, observing these thoughts and feelings, placing each thought or feeling in a box near the belt. And remember, mindfulness is key. Being mindfully aware of yourself is key to self-awareness. It is important. It's not just a floofy practice like I used to think way back when. It's about learning how to control what you pay attention to and how long you can pay attention to that. All right, everybody, thank you for listening and stay tuned next time for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline to Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD.